0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the bull.
0: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes, I'm one your host Greg Bresnitz. In this episode, we're heading to France to talk to legendary proprietor and master blender Alexandre Gabriel of maison Ferrand. We step back in time to when he was a small boy, learning how to distill from his grandfather and how those lessons of preserving the essence of the land carry through towards today. Alexandre tells us how he found maison Ferrand and expanded into other spirits, bringing the same love and dedication to craft. Then we step into our archives with an interview and performance from Mahogany. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, on a very, very special and I wish delicious episode. We have Alexandre Gabriel from Maison Ferrand uh, on the show. Alexandre, welcome to Snacky Tunes.
3: It's
4: great to be here. It's a pleasure.
0: Um, while this is a podcast, uh, what I'm looking at on screen is you surrounded by what looks to be like 200 bottles with an iridescent heavenly glow. Um, where are you calling from?
4: Uh, right now, I'm on the floating cellar. It's actually one of the many experiments that I love to do. We're aging uh, 1,500 barrels on a huge wheat uh, a retired wheat barge on the River Seine in the city of Paris, France. So we're actually aging rum and cognac on a boat... And, uh, you know, why is that? Because you need two beautiful things to make a beautiful spirit, among other things, is the movement. So the liquid shakes slowly into the barrel and the humidity. So that's an experiment. We're doing research about this. And also people get to buy a barrel if they want. So I'm right now in the sample room of the Barge 166 in Paris, where we are aging cognac and rum.
0: Location undisclosed, but uh, if you listen carefully for the clink of bottles while it's rolling, you might be able to, to find it. So I, w- I want to go actually all the way back um, because you're so well-established and, and people know who you are, but I, I kind of want to go back to when you are a small boy. Um, you have said before in the past that your grandfather has said the wealth has come from the earth, and he was the one who taught you about spirits and distillation, Um, very different time very different world, um, very different era. What was some of the knowledge that he imparted on you? And what are some of the lessons about uh, distillation that you still carry with you today?
4: Well, uh, it's uh, very many years ago. That's true. I grew up with my grandparents on on a farm, a polyculture farm. And over there, South Burgundy, you do wine also. And um, to me, you know, the wealth of the land for, for him was beautiful things you know what we are is really what we grow so you know the food what we eat but also what we drink and he was a, a distiller what we call a bouilleur de cru bouilleur de cru you you are allowed to distill what you produce so you know the quality of what you distill it depends from the quality of what you distill and your skills and that really is ingrained in me i I like to tell a story. You know, the first time he decided to show me the rudimentary elements of distilling, I was 10 years old. And he said to my grandmother, I'm going to show the kid how to distill. And we were distilling Mar de Bourgogne. Mar de Bourgogne is like grappa. You distill the pomace, the must of the wine. And he said to me as we entered this room, and I was very impressed. He said, first you taste with your ears. And I was like, I was scared he was going to pour this 70% alcohol, 140 proof pomace, uh, distill it in my ears, truly. And he said, uh, what can you hear? And we couldn't hear anything. That meant that the raw material was not compromised by insects or was not decaying, was fresh, he was telling me. And so the quality of what you make and you distill is that first step. Because you don't forget, you know, anything you drink that you see behind a bar There's somebody growing something somewhere, and that really is ingrained in me. And so that's why when we make cognac, we grow our own grapes. That's why we—I think—we're the only gin back then for sure. I know people have followed suit, but where we actually grow juniper berries to make gin. You know, soon we'll be growing our own uh, citrus, uh, especially lemons, because we'll use the waste energy of the distillery and to recycle it. To to put, uh, you know, to grow it into a special room, a big room, big barn, you know, that will be heated by the waste energy of the distillery. So to me, that is that is really lesson number one ten 10 years old, you know. That's what it matters, to make a beautiful spirit, a beautiful rum, a beautiful cognac. Make sure you know what you're using to make it. It sounds stupid, right, Greg? But, you know, there's no miracles. You need beautiful raw material. And that's a, that's a concept that's really ingrained into terroir, you know, like where it comes from, where it's grown, how is it grown. And then after there's the talent, the artistry, obviously, uh, uh, you know, of fermentation, distillation, aging that comes after that. And that's the 33 years of my, of my, you know, past years of my life.
0: Now, was he growing for himself? Um, was he selling? Um, was this a personal vintage? What, what was his setup?
4: So his setup was very simple. It was very modest. You know, a lot of farmers grew uh, their things, you know, their food, their, you know, I grew up, it seems, you know, since I grew up with my parents and I'm 56 years old, you're talking about the France that these people have learned, you're you're talking about somebody who fought Second World War, right? So, you know, a a bouilleur de cru in France means he distilled his own production. It was a privilege in France back then that was attached to a person. And so, uh, you know, he was growing wine and made Fin de Bourgogne, so the distillate of that wine. And then also, remember, on a farm, you don't waste anything. So the pomace, once you press the grapes to make wine, then, of course, you made a spirit with that. And it's funny, you know, now, of course, this is not something you would do. But when you were a kid and you hurt yourself, I was always kind of very energetic and always cut, I cut, I have a finger cut, I have a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, you would always have a little bit of foolproof mouth when you were hurting so bad, you know, while you were <laughs> going to the doctor. I'm not saying we got hurt on purpose, but you were flying there, you know. And that's, so we grew up around, you know, all of this. And so, yes, that that to me was very defining for everything I did since then.
0: Yeah. So from there, I mean, you had an early education on the spirit side, Um but then you went to business school, um, studied business school. Um, you came to the U.S. Uh, and then um, while you were doing kind of your, you know, your senior thesis, you were coming to France and training farmers on business practices. Um, what challenges uh, did you find there? And, and what lessons did you try to import, uh, impart on people that were maybe stuck in an older mindset?
4: Well, it was a bit different. What I did, you know, I didn't pretend teaching anything, anybody. I was trying to help. Meaning that, think about it, I knew I've been harvesting, you know, my grandfather, the vineyard, my grandparents had a vineyard, my grandmother too. And we, since I'm a kid and I can remember, I can walk, I've been harvesting, right? And then learning how to do the the distilling. And so I really grew up in this. And I'm a kind of guy that doesn't take authority, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, as a teenager, I am much better now, (laughs) but very well. So. I knew I had to have my own little joint. That was my dream i didn 't know what it was. You know a lot of people tell you they knew what they were doing. I had no clue what I was doing. I just felt i 'd love to have my little team and my little joint in and i didn 't know anything about except farming. So I grew up in a really remote part of France, South Burgundy, so I really thought I need to learn English because it seemed to me that English was so important in the, you know, uh, if you wanted to learn from others, you know, around the world. So I went to the US, I went to Minnesota, uh, you know, there, I just thought, you know, over there, there'd be less people speaking French and I'd be learning English. And for some people, some people are telling me some of the best English is in Minnesota. (laughs) And I went there. That's why I have this accent, I guess. And so, uh, and and I, I loved it. I love Minnesota. I think it's such a great state. And then. I realized I needed to learn business, and to finance my business school, I started a little, a little, a little uh, firm, very tiny, where four people to say we could help farmers who produce wine or cognac or sell their products. Because I, I the, the business school I went to, had a branch in uh, uh, New York and another one in Japan. So, and I chose the international program, but I had no money, <laughs> so I had to find a way. And and I thought, you know. I, you know, I was no—I knew I was no genius, but I knew the products. I didn't know much about business, but I—I I knew how to talk about the products. I knew how they, the way they were made, and and we really represented products that I understood well, and went to see distributors and and try to find you know outputs, you know, both in Japan and in France since I studied there, and that was a way to finance our studies, and that's how I met. You know different producers and decided this is for me you know i what i grew up into you know was really what i wanted to do you know some people in my school went into marketing finance and they're doing beautifully and and are dear friends and i have a lot of respect for what they do but i i thought you know farming and 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 making what we sell was something that really meant something to me so at the time one of our customers was uh, was the ferron family and i bought into the business it was tiny there was you know uh, the five people that started with me 33 years ago. I'm proud to say three of them are still with us right now: Beatrice, Annabelle, and Sandra. And so we started very small, but for and we did a lot of consultant work at that time for other distillers or you know throughout the world. You know we're like the the flyer, the flying distillers or master blenders because I was surrounded by the other people retired. You know, uh, but now they retired by far and two passed away, but by very, very skillful people, because this is the part I could judge on, right? And so that's how we started. And then we had one philosophy. is really, to me, a great cognac is the expression of its terroir, you know? And the terroir, not just the soil, but the the techniques, the local know-how, what have been the techniques that have been developed by the hand of women and men making it for hundreds of years. That was really what I based everything I did. And then later on, I discovered, you know, you get to know yourself a little better, that I had a talent for creativity. And so, having learned all of this with a lot of modesty, you know, I was looking at, like, tell me about this. How are you making this, you know? And the best way to learn is to always ask why. You know, if you, I don't know if you have children, Greg, but when you have kids, you know, you'll see they always ask why. until And then... When it's, they ask why 10 times, you're like, because, you know. <laughs> but they've learned so much that way because you're like, okay, you go to your room. <laughs> because it's so many whys. And and that's how I've learned a lot, you know. And then I realized I can start making my own things. And I've created a lot of spirits since then.
0: When you um, happened upon um, Miss Misanferrand, I mean, mo- many <laughs> companies now uh, invent a backstory. They come up with a logo and a history and it's and it's falsified. You uh, came upon a place that had been making um, Cognac for uh, centuries, 10 generations, um, but they were small. What was it about them out of, you know, the hundreds of businesses that you uh, came across that you felt this was home? What what was it that they were doing that you felt that, you know, this was a place to start um, your business?
4: You know, um, uh, it, things happen when you meet people, I think, you know, and, 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 you know, to me, the the Ferrand family is three branches. And the Ferrand family is is rooted, especially the main branch, the Eli Ferrand branch, is rooted in the history of cognac since the 1600s. But at the time, not much was left. You know, it was almost like starting all over again, or it was kind of a sleeping beauty in a lot of ways. And out of the three branches, it was not always easy. It's one of the, you know, and so, and there was somebody who was always to me like a, like a godmother to us and we were kids remember i was 22 years old so i didn't half of the things we're doing in business i had no clue what i was doing because i was still in business school doing this so it was trial and error and people don't realize now they see the brands on many shelves we the first bottles that were in the u.s they were in my suitcase you know and and that's how we started you know 33 34 years ago so it was really you know feeling that yes, there was this possibility of doing something I love, you know, distilling and creating unique spirits on such a small scale, you know, and that was okay. You know, uh, I was uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, uh, with Guillaume, actually, in St. Louis, with the American Distilling Institute, and uh, gin, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's a big American gin event. And, um, and I saw a lot of craft distillers, some of them getting started. And my message is absolutely, you know, if it's your dream, pursue it. If you feel you got it in you, and even if you don't, you know, you can see if it works. And that's that's the way we did it. I felt I had it in you about the, you know, the knowledge part, then but the, the other rest, the other, you know, we had no clue. I made all the mistakes. You know, a lot of people tell you They could write a book because they know what they're doing. I could write a book on all the mistakes not to do (laughs) because I've done a lot of them over, over investment, not managing your cash, uh, buying too much production equipment at once, (laughs) you know, buying the fancy stuff, you know, you're going to make such a beautiful products and then, you know, you're going to make balance the books and things, the things that I enjoyed and I thought was fantastic besides create, creating beautiful spirits, which I love, and that's, my, that's always a beautiful moment for me, is working with a great team. Uh, we, are, we have Guillaume here with us. Guillaume and I, we've been working together 24 years. And, and that's typical of who we are, right? I was proud to tell you, we've, I think working with people who share the same passion is really the reason, and creating beautiful products is the reason I wake up in the morning. And that hit me in the face at an early age. You know, I worked with all the guys that taught me their, their trade and I felt it was Christmas every day in terms of learning. Of course, I was hurting because working 16 hours a day and still do. But, uh, you know, uh, having these incredible people you love to, to work with is a great reward, I find.
0: And, and I feel like there's, before we get into a, a deeper dive on the, the spirits, I think there's one other piece of the puzzle that you felt almost an existential threat to French treasures. That you did not feel that some of the spirits and techniques that you were working with um, were going to make it. We're a given. And, uh, can you talk about what you felt um, as a preservationist in your approach to building uh, your cognac business?
4: Well, this is fascinating to me, and I still do that. I wrote, a, I write books about it actually, and I'm I'm a terrible writer, so I have to work twice as hard. To, to write a good sentence but it's my my way to 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 mine information i feel that the best way to 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 learn and organize the knowledge so what i found you see we forget about one thing the 20th century especially after 1930 is the standardization of spirits and that, that is almost throughout all spirit category almost and 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 you know we forgot a lot of these artisanally, really crafted products. When people would watch a barrel and do all these different techniques, you know, the beautiful deep rums had almost disappeared. There were still distilleries making them, but they were struggling. Everything became more neutral. It was the uh, then second part of the century, vodka ruled, you know, the industrial, very neutral vodka. And I am no problem with with somebody liking a good vodka and there's good ones, but most of the vodkas are very neutral in spirits, and while I have respect for anybody else's business, that's not what I was interested in. I was interested in the uh, super rich, intense, very—you know—I love the—I love the love handle in the spirits. You know, when there's so much, you know, so much delivery. You know, my grandfather always said, you know, it's like a—it's got to have a message. It's a book, right? So in the old days, people knew how to do this, and and while we're very modern in research and development. We are rooted in history. So when I create the dry Curacao, you know, of, of Pierre Ferrand, we are digging in the true history of Curacao. What is a Curacao? It's not the blue stuff. I don't know if you know, Greg, the blue comes from coal. <laughs> We're not, we don't want to make it. We want to make the real stuff with the lara orange, with cognac, with the right distillates. So it's beautiful. So what do we do? Well, people have been at it since the 1600s. So it would be crazy not to have the humility to say to these people through their books and their writing, teach me. So we go and we get, and then I work with people who share the same passion for learning, such as the historian, the spiritual historian, David Wondrich, for example, who's the same way. We listen to these voices from the past because they've been doing it for hundreds of years. You know um, as you know now, we're the owners of West Indies Rum Distillery in Barbados. I don't see that, by the way, as an ownership, but more as a marriage. And there was, we have archives going back to the 1893s. So we can really listen and look at these things. And that's culture, right? I look at it much like, you know, a painter will look and go to the museums to paint better. You know, and that's the idea and that's the research. And I've done a lot of this with Cognac, with liqueurs, with the Dry Carousel, Pierre Ferrand, 1840, with the, uh, the rums also going back to these very deep, intense, you know, uh, very rich, beautiful rums. That's also, the, that comes with fermentations that were invented in the 1800s, you know. So that's what I find really fascinating.
0: We're going to take a quick musical break. Um, We're going to play a song from the archives and then we'll be back with more here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. So I feel we could spend another hour talking about your portfolio because it is wide, it is deep, and it is delicious. Um, instead of going just into the individual brands, I'd like to know about your approach. Um, obviously, you started with Cognac, but then you introduced rum, gym, gin, and a few others. When you are looking at an exemplary spirit, what goes into it? What is the thought process, um, and what is you know kind of the the end goals to add something new to the portfolio?
4: Well, to me, you see, Greg, a spirit is a vector of emotion, right? Don't you remember? You know, don't you have a smile when you go to bed and you think this time you had with the loved ones or with loved ones or for great friends when you you share a beautiful whiskey, beautiful cognac, or. These moments are what we 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 and you can't do this if you <laughs> if you drink something horrible, you know. And these beautiful spirits are important. So how do you create them? Is the job of guys like me, you know. And that's that's really the fuel for us. So uh, when you research that, then then you say, okay, I'm going to make, uh, I'm uh, Imagine you're me. You're making cognac, and that's thirty years ago, and during. Winter, you work like crazy We're distilling and stuff. You know, we started harvesting. So right now we're harvesting. We start at two in the morning, right? And we still love it, you know, because it's such a party time when you're finished because you're so tired you could cry because you started at two in the morning with, with the lights of the tractors and the cars because you want the grapes to be super fresh. You don't want to harvest in the beating sun, right? So the whole team is doing this and it's incredible. And then you work like crazy distilling throughout the winter. And then on the 1st of April, your pot stills go silent. And you think, this is crazy if you're me. We could be distilling something else because by law, cognac can only be distilled until the 31st of March. You know, so the wine is super fresh. It's for quality reasons. Makes sense. But for six months, the stills are just sitting there. And imagine you're me and you're 25 years old and a bit bit of an intense guy. And I'm thinking, we could be making something else. And then at the time, there was no craft movement. We had no clue about this. There was the word didn't exist, you know. And so, but I, you know, uh, in France, when I was a kid, uh, drinking age was 16 years old. And so we went out and we drank a lot of bad gin. But I thought gin was a great factor for taste. You know, where cognac is very intense, working on the grapes and it's beautiful. You distill wine. Think about it. Gin, it's about a total different spectrum of flavors, but it's also about intensity, freshness. Uh, You know, summer drink a beautiful, fresh gin and tonic that's super aromatic with little, you know, you're using the skin of a lemon and it's incredible, right? That's what we wanted to create with Citadel. And so we went to see customs and excise and we thought, you know, you're young, you think the world is your oysters and you think they're going to be, gee, wish wish we would have thought about it and not. (laughs) That's not what happened. They said, absolutely not. You know, it's, 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 it's illegal. And you say, well, I never saw a law that says I can't. And they say, there's no law that says you can. But they're the government. And I'm just a little farmer. So back then, and so we asked, what should we do? And we worked with them for five years until we, it was available to be doing this. And we launched Citadel in 1996. These five years were wonderful years of research, by the way. And so, so much as we actually created, I have a patent for gin making because we tried everything you could imagine to make a beautiful gin. And, and so we distilled gin in this beautiful little copper stills, you know, that we have. And then, and then we finally launched it, Greg. And we thought the world for sure was waiting for beautiful artisanal gin. Again, not. <laughs> Nobody was waiting for it. <laughs> you know, so it was a like, man, you know, like we worked so hard, it was delicious. And, and I sent it to every British competition, gin competition you can think about. And we won almost every time, like gold medals, a first prize. I was like, there must be something into this. But people looked at us, artisanal gin from France, forget it. And then until uh, an incredible guy, a chef called Ferran Adria in, in Spain, makes a gin and tonic on TV. And he says, gin and tonic is gastronomic. Keep a bottle in the fridge, you know, whip it out. Use a great quality tonic. At the time, there was no artisanal tonics, right? So he made himself one because this guy is incredible. a very skillful chef. And he whips out a bottle of Citadel and makes the gin and tonic with Citadel. So that was, for us, wonderful, probably around 1999. I forgot the date. And then the New York Times writes half a page about Citadel called, you know, French Gin Storms the Gate. And, and saying, you know, it's, it's an incredible gin. And that was the second, you know, uh, you know you get a break sometimes when you just work tirelessly about what you believe is right. So Citadel, you know, almost couldn't make it. And there's also a great journalist called Papa Court who early days, when he tasted it blind, said this is what gin was meant to be. That's in the early days when you lose hope and faith because you're like, everything's crumbling, that you think you got the best idea, but the only one, the, the only one who sees that and the team, I mean, my team, obviously, we shared that dream. When you finally see this, it's such, such a beautiful feeling, but everybody worked so hard. Guillaume could tell you, you know, one bottle at a time in the market, telling people the story, how it's made, so they would be willing to taste it. Once they tasted it, then, then I think they were on board. And so that's how we did that, and we came into Citadel by just saying we're gonna add something to what we're doing, and then you know that opened the door. I was like, okay, we, I, we created a patent, we made this beautiful gin, it started doing well. We felt okay, maybe you know, and then we sell our secondhand barrels, uh, you know, some of them in the Caribbean's cognac barrels, and uh, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of rum is aged in bourbon barrels. But some delicious rums are aged in other types of barrels. You know, they're more expensive, the other types, but it's worth the effort. So some of the great distillers contacted, you know, were in contact with us. And was, for example, Thierry Gardère, who was the distiller at Barbancourt and the owner at the time. And, and so I said, I want to see these customers. And I fell in love with rum. You know, we were just working on the gin. And, and so I went to Haiti, I went to Jamaica, I went to Barbados, I went to St. Lucia. And I fell in love with it. And I why? Because the spectrum of taste, but also the method of productions for a guy that that is a production guy, seeing how the fermentation, the tradition of making him, and what's beautiful about rum also, each country, each island makes rum. Much like food, right? Right. Every region you go in France, you go in the Bordeaux area, the Burgundy area, Paris, the food, you know, Brussels. The food is different, same with every country. And that's very true with beautiful rum. And I thought that's incredible. And at the time, again, not a business idea. We bought few barrels, started aging them ourselves in our rum barrels and people tasted it. And they said, you know, you got to launch this. This is delicious. And so that's what we did. And we launched three vintages at first and, and then we grew from there progressively by cherry picking barrels. Uh, shipping them back to France in the barrel as much as we could. Hence this project now where we <laughs> aging also spirits, you know, on the, on the river here, just that's called dynamic aging, you know, when the, and then we launched a uh, plantation in 1999, very, very slowly, just of three vintages and that's it. And then people said, Oh yeah, we'd like that. And so we expanded the line and then to finish on this, you know, we're like, okay, I want to be part of this. I want to be a distiller of rum, you know, because I see these guys distilling and I distill cognac and I distill gin and we're swapping knowledge, like kids swap baseball cards or football cards, or, you know, um, people don't do that anymore. It's all electronic, that's dates me a little bit. I'm sorry, Greg. And, uh, you know, um, and then and then we have saved some money once uh, and then finally, when we had enough, we went into a partnership, we purchased West Indies Rum Distillery, again, more like a marriage purchase which also owns a third national rum, Jamaica and Jamaica. So that's when plantation was not only a negocion, you know, aging this beautiful rum. We still, by the way, purchase rums from different islands, the one that I prefer, like incredible Fiji rum, but, you know, uh, you know, Trinidad or St. Lucia or uh, Panama. But most of, you know, plantation rum, of course, the islands are, and the countries are all stated. We're very transparent and are from Barbados, where we have a distillery, and Jamaica as well. So that's the story of plantation in a nutshell. And we're trying to, again, celebrate a lot of the traditional methods of rum that I find fascinating. I'll give you just an example. You know, not just to use bourbon barrels, but we do additions every year where we use poyak barrels, you know, where we use, uh, uh, you know, Chardonnay barrels, where we use Madeira barrels, when we use port barrels, not just you know, one kind just to express the beautiful history of Rome. And that's fascinating to me. Mm. Uh, in, in
0: completely incredible and just amazing to see the through line of how it evolves naturally. It's easy to say it now in 2022, but to hear a history like that uh, truncated is just phenomenal. Um, before I let you go, um, one of the things we spoke about when we met in person was you have this beautiful chateau um, where the cognac uh, is uh, is made. I know marketing and um, kind of ops are in Paris, but you've got this beautiful estate. Uh, you mentioned that you host people. You have artisans there, musicians. So tell me about the scene that goes on in the chateau. Who who will you find there? Uh, what magic are you making? How are you inspiring each other?
4: <laughs> well, it's it's funny you say this. It's true. Uh, my family. My mother is a sculptor. I love artists. She's classically trained. I love and I like to say at Ferrand, we are a team of failed musicians. Guillaume is. Is an incredible jazz player, for example. I don't play piano as well as he does, but I've been playing piano for a long time. And so I have a daughter who's went to Berkeley School of Music, and she's, uh, you know, so we do love art for us. It's very important. And I know people see uh, this beautiful chateau and stuff, they forget that when I started it was raining inside and we fixed the roof ourselves by the way. <laughs> so when you talk, when you come Greg look at the roof. <laughs> and so it's 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 a nice estate now. We grow our own juniper berries at the Chateau de Bombonnet and the minute we could afford it and once we fixed the main house and the barns because we had to do this to this day we still have artisans and now there we have 14 guys we were just there was just one and me in the old days because I worked two shifts back then. And one shift, you know, trying to sell products, the other shift, making it or fixing buildings. And, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the beautiful things is we decided to fix bedrooms for people to come, come and visit us, live the life of a producer with us. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, and we did it, you know, that's how I meant the beautiful bar scene, for example. So we have some of the best bartenders from all over the world coming and staying with us. And that's such a communion of knowledge, you know, where they teach me how they use the product. And I like to say, I build the instrument and they play the music, you know, in that case. So um, we have a huge fire pit. That was Guillaume's idea also, you know, because in France, we don't have fire pits. <laughs> it's different. We have uh, fireplaces. And so we made it outside. And, and so when you come, typically, you're going to spend time working with us, either in the fields or checking out the guys or seeing us blending cognac or rum and, making gin we have a distillery there and then uh, in the evening we we just grill something and and eat together and and uh, and you know t- talk and rebuild the world at night until next morning where we usually get up very early. so it's really sharing a life and that's basically a life that I mean I grew up kind of that way it was much more rugged you know but I, I you know the way I grew up but I grew up kind of that way and to me, Everything we do, and my wife and I and the team, we love to share. And isn't spirits about sharing? So sharing knowledge with incredible bartenders, sharing knowledge with people research like Dave Wondrich, we talked about, you know, to create products. I've created spirits, my Stiggins fancy, you know, pineapple rum. If you would have told me when I was training as a classic master blender in Cognac that I would make a pineapple rum by distilling the skin of the pineapples you know, inspired by a recipe from Victorian era, I would have been you're crazy. And you know, so it's a, it's a journey, but this journey doesn't happen on your own. It always happens by 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 sharing with others. And really in the end, that's what it is. Both not only when we drink it, we share it with others. But I've I've worked with 50 different master blenders and master distillers in my life. You know, like the artists in the old days, 18th century, used to go from one studio to the other to learn. And to me, it's uh, I worked with the likes of the late Dave Pickrow, American distiller, incredible. I've worked with uh, you know uh, Alex Shatko in Ireland and Carlos Camarena in Spain, etc., etc. Professor Jong in Korea to learn about clay pot aging. And these guys and us, you know, and, and incredible bartenders also from all over the world. And we inspired each other. So that's the life at the Chateau de Bonbonnet. And if you know how to play the guitar, Greg, you'll play the guitar. And if you know how to play the piano, you'll play the piano and, and and we'll have a good evening as well. you know. And if you don't know how to play any of the instruments, you can still play the rum or the gin or the cognac and, and drink it with us. That's what we're doing at the Chateau de Bonbonnet at night. Amazing. Well, uh, Alexander, thank you so
0: much for making time. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, how can people find you? get your spirits follow you see what uh, learn more about you where do people go
4: well we are on the internet there's there's a, there's a page facebook page at ferrand and you know we, we you know maison ferrand also plantation rum citadel gin and ferrand cognac and then uh, also have my own uh, uh, facebook page i'm not always you know on it because i've spent a lot of time making the spirits that's how they find us and of course you know uh, to me i always call these spirits my babies they can find me, and they find find the whole team's work in every bottle. So uh, you know whether it is plantation rum, citadel or Ferron cognac. And I uh, well, my promise to to everyone listening is that we'll continue, you know, God willing, all producing these beautiful spirits. I'm a one-trick pony; that's all I know how to do, and making sure we share them together. So to me, that's that's something that's key. Amazing. Well. We're gonna play another song
0: from our archives and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
3: to see
1: with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So, Mahogany,
0: (laughs) welcome to Snacky Tunes.
5: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Really great to have you. Really great to have you here. Um, Why don't you... uh, Give us a little background on how you two came to be.
6: Well, this iteration of the band is about four years on. I've actually been putting out records since 1997. Really? Yes. I first got on to John Peel, and ever since then we've been asked to make records and do performances and radio shows.
0: Holy shit, you met John Peel.
6: We did not meet him. We had him play our records sometimes at both speeds. (laughs) (laughs) He liked one particular song at 33 and 45. Really? So, yes. So my friends in England would tape the show and send it to me after he played the records. Oh, my God. Tape that's how we got show,
0: started. Tape the show and send me a cassette, my friend. Yeah.
6: So I, I started out in Michigan outside of Detroit. It was fairly empty there and moved to New York in 99. So.
0: Oh, shit. So you've been in New York. You've seen, you've seen the changes. Yes.
6: Yes. Mm-hmm. Where did you first move? Uh, Brooklyn. So I lived up in Greenpoint.
0: Um, oh, so you've seen some shit.
6: I've been all around. I ran I managed two different recording studios here one which was over at Morgan and Grattan and uh the other one the civil defense is now in the Guanassa area. Do you have
0: any stories of when you first moved to Greenpoint that would make people who moved to Greenpoint today cry and be like I have no idea it was ever that bad.
6: Well, Bushwick was kind of more like that. Yeah. With uh, lots of burned out cars and packs of dogs so you you would be better off on a bike. Packs of dogs? Packs of wild dogs? That kind of thing. Yeah. It was uh it was the Badlands man. It was really, really interesting.
0: Where do the packs and Wild Dogs go now? Like do they just get rid of them? Kill them? Yeah. I don't know, you ever seen the leftovers? They're it's not like, our dogs anymore. It's like the Sochi Olympics. It it's good. Watch the, yeah. Yeah. So man. then how did this um, iteration come into place?
6: Uh well, I was working on a record with a very large group of people and I kind of finished with that and I actually was working for Christie's the auction house, and I... What were you doing for Christie's? I was m- doing graphic design for a magazine that if you uh, spend a million dollars at Christie's, they'll send you the magazine. It's called Highlights.
0: No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And they, so then if you look at a photo, <laughs> would you find the Monet where it was hidden?
6: Oh, no, I'm saying if you went that's to that.
0: That's a Highlights original Right, magazine. right. We're
6: thinking of Highlights for children, which yeah. we did try to tell them, you know, this is already a magazine, but... <laughs> and then, that they're every, really then the everyone idea. has read. That, yes, like boys' life. Yeah.
0: Hey, have you ever been to a dentist? It's in there. Okay. Um, what's okay? Well, we can talk about there. But anyway, so your highlights.
6: Right. I was there, and then I met Jacqueline through a mutual photographer friend, um, because I was spending some time in Philadelphia, and I kind of go Shout back, out. go back and forth, uh, pretty much uh, equally. Uh, we both do really. Um, we have a name for it. We call it New Phil York Delphi. Interesting. Philadelphia. So it's part of our commu- our, the, our futuristic the, the commuter six, existence. The Sixth Borough. Remember that article? They've been saying that. I found a poster from 1848, and they've been saying that ever since then. When they first <laughs> built the railroad, lest we become the Sixth Borough. Wow. wow. Yeah, so that's been something that's been perennially on people's minds. Well, we're from right outside Philadelphia. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah. Have you been to the Dolphin yet? Oh yes. yes So good It's, it's fantastic It's a it's fantasy of a club We've got some pictures part. of her Getting down on uh, Instagram So okay. you check those out Which
0: is mahogany mm-hmm. underscore band
6: Mahogany yes. underscore band
0: uh, so, you, so How did you get How did you get in the mix? When uh, did you start doing music?
5: With Andrew, actually, I'm I was a ballerina growing up, and I had no real musical experience until I met Andrew through this photographer, and he kind of showed me the ropes and was like, "Let's let's do this," and threw me right in front of a twelve string guitar, and oh, kind of has been my mentor. Fuck this you
6: th- and your six string. We're going straight to twelve.
5: You know, yeah. There's
0: only
6: two people in the band. We need all the strings we can get.
2: Yeah, and, and so and
0: how how was that like? Going from no musical background, obviously having some sense of rhythm from being a, a ballerina, but like no actual. What did it? How long did it take for you to be like, yeah, I'm not just like kind of playing the same thing from memory over and over again?
5: Right. Um. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing with dance muscle memory, but it it took a few years. And Andrew's a really tough teacher, so which is great and totally beneficial. But um, I mean, here we are four years later since we met, and and this what, is where we're at.
0: What is one of your like? Uh, like, no hold bar teaching like rules or, or methods.
5: Uh, plug the guitar in. Like, don't sit in bed like in your panties playing the guitar with no amplifier. So that's kind of like the rule. I mean, of the home.
0: I mean, I feel like that's where I got lost. <laughs> that was just like in bed playing in my panties. And just, uh...
5: It's just fun.
0: Yeah. Um, do, would you like tape the guitar
6: to her hands and be like, I'll untape it when you get the song right? No, we just started out with really, really simple things to play that were already kind of part of the songs because there's like plenty of things that, I mean, most of the music is kind of like a lot of repeated motifs that get sort of cycled through like steve Reich or, or philip glass or something like yeah. that you know i grew up with those composers right. i grew up as a cellist so uh, um i took cons- in my conservatory freshman year to finally realize i wanted to look at other instruments and production music production most of the music i've done is actually from a production standpoint has been for other bands so. all right well let's hear a song let's hear some of this right. uh what are you gonna play for us this is actually from our newest record, which will be coming out in the fall, and we're doing a tour. Um, we'll be in New York, Boston, L.A., a can lot of other places. To, can we come to the show? So this is called Keystone Sonata.
0: Oh, man. That was great. Dude, that's awesome. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the people at home can hear how much you were smiling during that song. <laughs> I feel like it gives that extra oomph.
6: It's uh, emancipation, you know? It's great, man. Real, that's real. a that's real like, uh, get-up-and-go Sunday sunrise music. Jubilation. We did a version of this as a video that you can find on South by Southwest, uh, their YouTube channel. Oh, really? Uh, we did that a couple years ago. Um, and we've been working on this song for a while now, just adding... Synthesizer, adding Dude, guitars and a bunch of stuff. So pretty it's, it's, layered. And it, it, is, it is sort of about, you know, the sort of Philly, Philly Pride type thing. I would like to that see that with a full orchestra. I'm just saying. I totally. Feel like, I feel like that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. We'll, we'll, uh, when we get the budgeting, we'll... Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the
0: money you're saving on uh, not eating gluten alone, is. Is, that's halfway there. <laughs> no, what you should do is you should palm
6: highlights and then sell them for half a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's do it. Well, that's the other thing is that we have thought about maybe and maybe we could Pat think what you guys see what you guys think of this idea of a book caravan because I also do uh, book design for Rizzoli. So I've done three different books with uh, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth. If you look up mixtape, the art of cassette culture. This is a book that I brought together with a group of my friends and then we pitched it to the publisher and they said it's great, but we want to get Thurston. We get somebody famous on it or whatever. So we got Thurston on it. And we ended up doing a few other books, Grunge, which is a oh, photography yeah. of Michael Levine, oh, yeah. and Punk House, Interiors in Anarchy, which is it's kind oh, of an man. interesting interior decorative book, somewhat food-related.
0: Is it like modern punk houses? Like, like squats the, from across. So, yeah, has yeah.
6: Abby Banks, uh, is a, the girl who did all of the photographs. She's brilliant. Man, you guys are just cr- creative forces, putting it out across all mediums. That's the that's the point. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do in this yeah. McLuhan-esque age? of just, uh, you know... Hit all fronts. Go for it. Full spectrum dominance. I mean, that's one of the great things about working across all mediums.
0: I know that uh, Greg and I work in like, we did TV, we did radio, we do events, things like that. And just like at the end of the day, it's just like, it's just about the creative process and putting out something. Yes. And it doesn't really matter being, you know, actually being pigeonholed into one sort of going like, oh, I thought you just did music. It's. That's that. That's over. Yeah.
6: yeah, I mean, I think that if, especially after the '80s, uh, it's kind of impossible to not have a visual for your music. And, oh yeah. I mean, it used to matter not what even people looked like. Now it's actually pretty critical. And what? And how would you describe the visuals for your music? Well, we do a lot of filming where we're just. I mean, if you're familiar with you know you're familiar with Philadelphia, we'll just go deep into the north where everything's <laughs> falling apart and uh, and do some frontiering as we. We we'll oh, call yeah. it uh, just the urban urban landscape is really interesting. So have a small HD rig and just take that out and and then we also do a lot of animation at home. Really? So, yeah. What type of animation? Mostly just with color and like markers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you awesome. know what I'm saying? Like just the, like stop motion stuff. Yeah, but but abstract. So um, and then uh, we were looking at your website.
0: Uh, can you talk about the ballet performance you did in the subway?
5: Sure. I've I've been working with this Instagram follower cat underscore. In underscore NYC, and she's got, like, oh, hundreds yeah. of thousands Dude, of followers. cat NYC. Yeah. She's yeah. amazing. She's awesome. She's, she's amazing. a Russian woman. Super great.
0: I met her a few months really? ago. Okay. Uh, yeah. We did this Insta meetup, and it, she's just yeah. like... I was like, "Oh my God, she's super cool." She's super cool. Um, she's but an amazing yeah, we've guy. been we've been yeah. working
5: together um on on these <laughs> shoots, and basically, I work in Lower Manhattan as a separate separate thing from the music, and we meet up on my lunch break, go down and under the ground for an hour, take photos, and I put on some ballet stuff, and and one of the shots ended up in the Huffington Post recently.
0: It's <laughs> amazing. Is it like a Superwoman change where you like? The leotards underneath and you just bust out the phone, Yeah, right?
5: kind of. To save time, I've been like wearing leotard underneath the work clothes, but of my course. boss did come up to me and was like, uh, I saw you on the popular page. I'm like, oh wow. shit. <laughs> like, it's
0: Pops. during lunch. It's during lunch.
5: Yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, well, it's my lunch hour. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow, I saw you on the popular page. Man, <laughs> it's a song lyric. Uh, and that, so that's great though. That's so much fun. And it are you is. dancing in the subway? Or are you Yeah,
5: just doing yeah, poses? yeah. We're, uh, we're going back and forth i mean it depends like some of the shots are in soho somewhere we had more room and the the street was a different surface then we could do more dancing shots and like turning and stuff but m- most of our videos the two and two videos andrew and i have done together we've done some choreography and and um and that's all can I, see I, that. has, she's, has, she's been humble dancing?
6: my dancing i i am all, I, since i was a kid i was in the pit orchestra because i knew right where i should be <laughs> But I, I, <laughs> I, but I would just like to say that I mean, you know, she's she's uh, just a genius, really. I mean, there's a lot, but that, that's behind it. She's being very humble. So, what happened on screen there? Oh, sorry, someone's got eye bleeding. But wait,
0: we have an oh, eye, no. in, we have an eye injury. In eye oh, my God. Are you as hard as a teacher on him about dancing as he was about? Teaching I've been her- trying yes. to
5: get Andrew to come to about class. Andrew, don't you won't.
0: dance around
6: in your bed in your pants. I
0: know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> get up to get put your, plug your in. put your leotard on. Put you put,
5: Put yes. your shoes on. It's comfortable. It's comfortable.
6: I uh, mean, why do, do we have dreams of a, you know, a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers type thing? <laughs> we're, we're working on well, it. Well, you know, Ginger Rogers had to do everything Fred Astaire but backwards, right? <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> right
0: so. And, heels. and um, heels. Why don't we uh, get
6: another song? <laughs> yeah. Sure. All right. Uh, what are you going to play for us? This next song is uh, called Commutator, and it's uh, the second song off of our upcoming record. Awesome. Okay, here we go. Mahogany Lion yeah. with Tunes.
3: All right. The commentator, the commentator, the commentator runs. All the commutator runs. it feeds all the children, feeds all the children. He silences all the guns. Oh, oh a measure for the lost, a measure for the lost, a measure for the lost, and a measure for the fallen. A measure for the lost, a measure for the, loss, a measure for the lost, a measure for the lost, and a measure for the fallen. A measure for the lost, a measure for the lost, a measure for the a measure for the lost, a measure for the lost, a measure for the lost,
0: I think the entire uh, country of Germany should thank Mahogany <laughs> for sending out
6: those Posi-vibes. Yeah, ja, so sehr ausgezeichnet, Ganz toll. Um, goal? Spech ein bisschen. Goal?
0: <laughs> um, Holy shit. Ein mehr! Um, so, how do you guys inspire each other in the creative process? Because you guys are obviously both creative in your own... Factions, but are the is the like some greater than the parts when you do get
6: together? One plus one equals three or more. Yeah, seriously. But I'm <laughs> that's serious. actually a title of our song, but a song of ours. But
0: um, but I mean, seriously, <laughs> you guys are are really. It's intimidating in a way because you're hitting. You're really like sort of covering every, you know, it's graphic design, books, dance, music. It's just there's not a lot that other people can
6: really bring to the table.
0: <laughs> so when you guys are really? together is it just like this like ball of
6: inspirado? well we did some research and the word that we found uh, was charrette. Yes. describes sort of a workshop attitude uh towards uh like uh, needs based getting things done in the moment like sort of So we don't like I don't know that there's a significantly consistent process. It's more or less like we have we know we have a couple hours what do we got to do? Charette? Charette. S- it, C-H-A-R-E-T-T-E. What, English? Uh, I guess it used to be French, it used but to be it was anglicized. Yeah. So mo- mo- more meaning a, an architectural sort of get down. How like did you, fi- how did you re- find this
0: word? <laughs> I, <laughs> I forget. Because,
6: because it, it's related to people who, students who would cram to create models for architecture mm. uh, finals. Uh, that's the that's context I saw it in. So,
0: Huh. Yeah. It's a good word. Thanks. So so, you're, so are your,
6: they're not really, I guess, writing sessions, they're like creative sessions? I mean, it's just it's just sort of like this, the, the songs, for example, in some cases they write themselves like Keystone. There's a word in that, vicissitudes, which means regular changes. Okay. Right. I had no idea what the word meant, but I apparently had heard it at some point previously, and it came out in the lyrics when I was writing one day, so I had to go look it up in the dictionary after that.
0: Uh, before we, before <laughs> so we, so it get, sort
6: of needs based, like if you just see what's going on, and then we just j- have to jump in.
0: And sometimes you need a dance part, sometimes you need a guitar solo. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. pretty much. Yeah, but you so have to be dressed for both. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, yeah. and
6: well, you can be in just, your panties in your p- Oh, you have to be plugged in.
0: Well, well plugged in. I'll put it this way: when, when and, I hear when many many I hear possible, the, uh, <laughs> the panty session, I know it's going to be like B
6: sides and like. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm so loving wait, this. So idea. Wait, so the new album you keep talking about, I know, It's crazy what's happened to that
6: record. go on. Well. I basically have been writing it since 2006, and the last one came out. Then we went on tour with Block Party the next year, and then went down to Lima, Peru, a bunch, which There's has a ama- If you want food, yeah, ceviche. Lima and and uh, and its uh, sushi fusion is uh, a completely different universe. Um, but we went down there a bunch, and we've just been playing shows ever since, really, and trying to put the record together. But I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not like a careerist person, so I'm not going to like rush to put something out that isn't what I think yeah. should be. By the way,
0: 2006 Block Party,
6: I mean, talk about touring a band at the top of there. That must have been awesome. They're fantastic. They're great. They're awesome. They're really nice to have us along. I mean, playing, you know, the Carling Circuit was, uh, you know... That's the probably the biggest crowds we've ever had. Five thousand people throwing glow sticks at us. Uh, of course, you know, and, <laughs> right. in uh, in Blackpool was uh, you know if you've done your research, uh, the Stones started a riot there. Velvet Underground, everybody. So when they threw the glow sti- glow sticks at us, I was very.
0: Pleased. You felt like you had made your, your made, <laughs> made our impact.
6: Yeah, well, that's actually the home of one of my favorite bands. It's a Factory Records band called Section Twenty Five that Ian Curtis yeah. uh, produced oh, yeah. actually. Yeah. So yeah. okay. Yeah, I love those guys.
0: Uh, so, uh, so EP comes out
6: next week. It's coming out, Well, um, <laughs> we have a tour going around it. An EP will probably be out what the twelfth, mm-hmm. something like
5: that. Yeah, yeah. and where's
0: yeah. the and the tour is hitting all over? Yeah, it kicks
5: off in Philadelphia actually. Where in Philadelphia? At the World Cafe Live. That's on the twelfth.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, amazing.
5: And Shout out to World
0: XPN, right? Oh, right on. Yeah, know, yeah totally. totally love them. And then yeah. where are you? Um, where are you playing in uh, New York?
5: Uh, we'll be in Brooklyn at Glasslands Gallery. That. And, yeah, yeah, that's with uh, Psychic Twin. Yep,
6: on thirteenth. Yep. Mm-hmm. can we come?
0: Yep,
5: yeah, and we'll then, then we'll the be list. in Boston, and we've got a show in LA at, yep. at the Echo for Part Time Punks. Yep. And we'll Hopefully. do another radio show out there with them. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, well, I mean, shout out to um, to Glasslands. I love Rami. Like,
5: yeah, I'm Rami's like, awesome. He's so sweet. Rami is
0: like one of the nicest, best.
1: I feel awesome like you can probably there. speak
0: to this uh, since you've been here. Yeah. In Brooklyn for so long, even though they didn't start till four or five years ago, they're sort of one of the last l- true, just like supporters of the arts and music and things like that. With where, Glasslands,
6: yeah. Oh, this band actually opened that venue. Oh, really?
5: Mahogany, yeah, yeah. In yeah.
1: in,
6: yeah. in, uh, in two thousand six or seven with the was, Sentimentalist magazine. So you
0: know the original girls.
6: Yeah, I mean, we were there the quite stages. a bit. We every, but every time we would play, we would blow out the power. So, I have, <laughs> uh, well,
0: sh- hey, sh- they, they've done That's an amazing job. No, it's fantastic. Like, no, the, the light sound the, is, is the incredible. Earth, yeah. I have, um, the bear head that used to be in there. Hankson is it, it's, it's in my apartment. You have that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
7: bro- I har- That's not I, that. No, 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 no. I harassed
0: Brooke for like, cause you know, they changed out the venue like every two months. So I was like, cool. When you take that down two months, can I have it? But that was like the last iteration they had done. And, uh, I then harassed her every month for like four years um, and then she called me one night she's like we're selling it to Top Gun the whole venue if you come down okay. now with $400 in cash it's <laughs> yours but you have you have to, you have two hours it's to make like a decision a so cra- they still have, they still have, they still have
6: <laughs> we get dinner out of this they still have
0: the weird uh, like fur one that's in bet- behind the bar Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, so why don't you give people how they can find you uh, Instagram, Twitter, website, everything uh, before we get into this last song.
5: Sure, on Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash mahogany international. On Twitter, we're mahogany underscore intl. Instagram, mahogany underscore ban. And our website, where you can find all our news and our calendars on there. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. That's mahogany.nu. Awesome. And
0: right. if And when are the mahogany practice panties coming out? I'm sorry, is that... Um, those will be with the tour we're going to do is silkscreen. Okay, cool. Yeah,
5: we'll be selling them on this side as well.
0: Okay, awesome. And they're just going to say get up out of bed. Get up out of bed and practice. Yeah. <laughs> plug,
6: plug, or they'll say plug it in.
0: Plug it, it in. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Quarter inch Okay, people. okay. <laughs> and in your spare, spare time you write jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Punch-ups yes. punch for Hollywood. Uh, well, thank you to everyone. I think we're off again next week and then we're back on the final run knocking on wood to episode 200. If you are are in town this Tuesday we are doing our next barbecue blowout just go to uh bbq blowout july, july 2015. 2015.eventbrite.com 14 14 2014 leah cohen is going to be on the grills ducky is going to be on the decks it's gonna be a lot of fun uh shine chris congratulations again on everything
5: thank you for having me
0: and uh we got one more song what do we got go germany
5: this is called white rooms
0: oh yeah and congratulations to germany and to all of the friends we met in berlin um, this one goes out to uh, this one goes out to Bergheim. I think uh, we'll see you in a few weeks.
3: In my ears, salvation in her eyes, melt away the tears, blowing light and love, sighing, and Temptation in her lips, taking a few more sips, no more hands, with no more sorrow. Jackie's starting strong, taking me higher. The melancholy rain is keeping us safe. The cabins and the clouds and the chains have the ruined Jackie, baby Whoa, it ain't no sin To miss your lover Taking me in Don't tell nobody It's just you and me undercover Oh, Jackie
2: about food we talk about music
0: with musical dudes finger on the pulse snacky tunes snacky tunes is powered by simple cast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you keep in touch at heritage slash subscribe